Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hello. Hello. Hello, America, and Hi. every other country. Oh, sorry. Oh, the desk is moving. Yeah, I forgot to lock the desk. God I'm gonna do that. It. Um, but we are back for a brand new spanking episode of the show. It's true. We are starting a cult that's grand. And I'm Jake, and this is October. It is. So it's gonna be some spooky stuff. It really is. It's hard to believe too. I feel like time has just really flown by. The this past maybe three four weeks. What is it? The Ides of October right now. It is. It, it, it is quite literally is the That's Ides of October. Fucked up. It's so fast. Um, but we are here to kind of go back to the roots a little bit, if you will. Um, when this show started, honestly, probably the the biggest show that we had in the beginning was the haunted Northwest Indiana series, right? Yeah. For those yeah. uh, long-time listeners, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, we're from that area, so it just seemed to make sense, you know, that we would talk a little bit about ghosts and weird, spooky shit. No, it's true. People seem to like the specifics, you know, like Indiana, we did the the Wisconsin Oddities, that was a big one. Yeah, yeah, that was of, a good uh, one, too. downloads. Um, so today, we're branching out just, just a wee bit. Um, we will have, you know, a story or two about the northwest indiana area about our home villages they're not really that's more of an Illinois sort of. thing, isn't it eh, i don't know who cares it's it's where we're from is where we're talking about mostly. yeah so today we are going to be talking about the state of indiana as a whole we put we cherry picked a couple of uh fun little stories that we liked and you know we wanted to share with you all um just so you know all of the stories that we discussed today are from the book series Haunted Indiana by Mark Merriman. Mark um, Merriman, good man. He is a researcher slash author that has compiled, at least to my knowledge, four or five uh, series of books specifically on the state of Indiana and hauntings and weird supernatural occurrences uh, in the state. It's true, it's true. And I'm pretty sure he lives in Griffith, and I work there, so uh, Mark or what, yeah, his name is Mark, right? Yeah, Mark Merriman. Mark Merriman. If you are, if you're ever on the downtown street, go to the coffee shop. I'll be in there, and you can say hi, and I'll be. I'll, here's your coffee. That is. If you want that, 
Go it's to the go point. to that place. Um, just so you know a little bit about him. Okay, I'm going to take this directly from the back of the book. All right. Um, Mark Merriman grew up in Maryville, Indiana, the youngest of three children. Since graduating from Maryville High School, he has received a bachelor's degree from Valparaiso University and a graduate degree from Duke University. Aside from a lifelong interest in ghost stories, Mr. Merriman is an avid reader, collector of antique walking sticks, and maker of the best baked beans in the Western Hemisphere. I love this guy. Jesus Christ. He's only got two faults, okay? And this is what they are. A persistent slice in golf and the inability to keep his pipe lit for more than five minutes at a crack. Wow. The, <laughs> That's just, all you need to know. He sounds like the most like homely guy in the world. That's Mark Merriman for you. That's the oh, fucking OG Mark Merriman. I love it. Um, these books have actually come in handy. I remember I got these at like a flea market. when I mean, I was a, a little, little kid. I was probably lad, like five yeah. or six. Like I was a young little man. And I remember reading them and being like, I, this is spooky and weird and scary. And it's from my hometown. Yeah, and it was just kind of fun. Like, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and here we are again revisiting uh, volumes one through four. Now, there's a lot of really cool shit that goes on in these books. I will not deny that. But just for the purposes of us, we're kind of just doing doing a couple, you know? We're yeah, just, I we're think, having fun. I think the way we kind of split it up just by accident is we each took one story from each book. Yeah. Just and I about. took two of them, so you got two, I got two. Everything's fine. Yeah, I have uh, two right. and a third that I'm going to throw in just kind of for fun later. Beautiful. Perfect. But, uh, they're, they're, this is a little bit more of a uh, relaxed, kind of fun ghost episode. Yeah, just sit back and enjoy the stories because they're kind of they're spooky, but a lot of them are wholesome. It's kind of nice, like in the middle of the road. Yeah, you know? yeah, I would agree. They They bring the spook, they bring that October feel, but they also... Kind of keep it fun, keep it fresh. Uh, it's not like a story. It's not like a Warren story where it's just you know doom and dismay and demons and you need a priest and you have to you know do this and someone dies. Oh yeah, these are at least the ones that I have. I know one of the ones that Jake has. This is like an overcast like pumpkin patch at like four p.m. Ooh, you know yes. that's what this episode's gonna be. So sit back, relax, have yourself a drink of whatever you like to drink. Perhaps it's alcohol. Maybe. Perhaps it's just, you know, like a hot tea. Maybe it's a cool tea. Whatever you like. Maybe you're a uh, soda person. You know, I say soda because I feel like that's more internationally accepted, you know. Yeah. But where we're at, we call it pop. But, you know, that you'll, you'll know where we're at. A lot at of people want to cut episode. our heads off for that. Yeah, dude. You know, uh, fucking people in Wisconsin call water, uh, like drinking fountains bubblers. Ah, get fancy me the bubbler. How stupid is that? Yeah, you guys are crazy up there. I love Wisconsin though. I mean, you guys like cheese and butter and cheese, New Glarus. Come on, the Packers. That's like all you guys like really care about up there, which is kind of fun. That's all you need. Um, but yeah. So like I said, just enjoy this nice little. Fun, spooky episode. It's the perfect day for it here. It's overcast and chilly. Just bundle up and get ready. All it's right? true. It's true. Who, who You want to go first or you want me to go first? The first one I was going to do is like pretty long, pretty hefty. 
Okay, I'll, I'll pepper in a small little one here. Yeah, okay, go how ahead. About do, that? It, do it now. So I'm going to talk to you guys today about the legend of Stiffy Green. Stiffy? Stiffy Green. Uh, Stiffy. It's, it's a ghost story as well as a just kind of an urban legend, you know? Um, so this takes place in Terre Haute um, in the early years of the 1900s. So we're talking like between 1910 and 1921. Um there was a man named John Heinel, all right? And people in the town loved him. This is a real person. It's This is not the legend yet, okay? Um, so John Heinel, he's a lovable character. People in the town just, they really enjoyed his company. You know, he was a sweet guy. He was very friendly. Um, but he had this dog, right? He had this funny fucking dog. Um, and it's funny because, as I said that, my dog came in the room. Yeah, Navi just appeared and licked my hand a lot. Um, but contrary to my dog, uh, he had a bulldog, okay? And it was extremely rare that he would be seen in public without his bulldog, who was named Stiffy Green. Stiffy. <laughs> um, it, it lost to time. Nobody truly remembers what the dog's real name was. But they call him Stiffy Green because he walked with a very strange type of limp. Wait, this dog had a nickname? Yeah, his nickname was Stiffy. It's like Green. they call me Stiffy, but my actual name is Jonathan. It's yeah, like that's yeah. that's pretty cool. So Stiffy, he walked with a a very severe limp in one of his paws, and the reason that's why he got Stiffy. I understand. And then, it, weirdly enough, uh, for any dog people out there, I, I was not familiar with this, but apparently, green eyes in a bulldog is like extremely rare, like extremely rare. Well, he fucking had those. Wow. Plus the name Stiffy Green. Walked with a limp, like had it. green eyes. He gets his own last name, too. That's badass. Uh-huh. Um, so Stiffy Green, he was a big protector of Mr. Heinel. You know, a stereotypical dog. Uh, guarded him. You know, anytime people would get a little too friendly, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't nip at you, but he'd give you the, the growl. He'd be like, back up a little bit. Yeah. You know, be cool. Let him fun. know that you can, he can kill you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Mr. Heinel was an older gentleman. Um, and in 1920, Mr. Heinel died. John was dead. How about that? God damn. What about, what about Stiffy? No, Stiffy remained. Stiffy remained. Stiffy damn. remained. Good but for this him. is where the legend was born. Um, obviously, you know, I said he was a big member of the town. People loved him. Yeah, big member. But, oh yeah. <laughs> um. There's so many boner things in this story so far. But Stiffy... Stiffy. Uh, exactly. Stiffy would not accept that Mr. Heinel had died. He just refused to believe it. I mean, he was mourning more than anybody. Um, during the funeral, he was right by the side of the <laughs> casket. Wait, Grant. Mourning Stiffy. Oh. Uh, yeah. And it just continues and continues and continues. It just and continues. rolls. Bark. Bark. Um, yeah, now he's barking. So this was at the Highland Lawn Cemetery, just so you guys have you know a place. Um, you, if you would like to go there, this is where the legend remains. Over the time of the funeral and all that, Stiffy would not leave the cemetery. He would post up right outside the mausoleum, and he just would refuse to fucking leave. Um, eventually, he was given to a distant relative that lived in Terre Haute of Mr. Heinel. And within a week, Stiffy had escaped. He ran away. Good lord. And they found him the next day 
sitting outside of the mausoleum where Mr. Heinel was dead and buried. We got a stiffy on the loose. That you do. Um, so this continued three times. They brought him back. He, he was gone. They brought him back. He was gone. They brought him back. He was gone. That's just a good dog, man. Eventually, they gave up. They just gave up. They were like, this is what the dog wants. I guess just let him fucking have it. Um, and the people at the cemetery, they were cool with it. Because, you know, I mean, he would kind of growl at you if you tried to go in the mausoleum. But they were like, you know, other than that. I can't imagine he's much of a nuisance unless it's like picking up shit. But these people are burying dead bodies all day, so. Yeah. It shouldn't be that, you know, bad. It didn't really bother them. They enjoyed it. And as a matter of fact, um, they would leave bowls of food and water and toys and everything for him because, you know, he was just kind of the mascot. But Stiffy was so goddamn stubborn that he starved himself to death. He refused to eat. He refused <laughs> oh, to drink. Man. He just sat outside of the mausoleum doing nothing but waiting for Mr. Heinel to get back. Man, the more we get into the story, the sadder it is. It's, like, adorable. Yeah. It's it, one of those, like, YouTube videos. You watch it, like, 3 a.m. after you're in, like, a YouTube hole that you just you just start crying. Yeah, you're just like, oh, You're just God. like, I haven't cried in years. This is what does it, really? So what they did, in honor of Mr. Heinel and Stiffy, you know, the two big names in the town, they sent Stiffy Green's body to a taxidermist. And, you know, they cleaned it up, they popped out his eyeballs, and they put green glass eyeballs in so that, you know, he resembled Stiffy Green. Oh. And they put him in the mausoleum alongside the body and box of John Heinel. And now the legend remains that if you go to Highland Park Cemetery, you can hear dogs barking with no dogs in sight. On occasion, you may even see an elderly man being accompanied by what appears to be a small, translucent bulldog. That's adorable. And the barking gets louder and continuously more angry the closer you get to the mausoleum. Can you imagine being, like, the the relative to somebody who died and was buried to, like, the plot right next to it? Yeah. Just or just, like, like adjacent or something? It's like, God, I just want to mourn. Yeah, I just want to be here. I don't want to get barked just at. Just let me do it, ghost dog. Um, but yeah, that is the legend of one Stiffy Green. I thought that was a nice little, you know, it is nice. for us. You know, it's it's a story of being loyal, and it's very sad, but you know, life is tragedy sometimes. But it's it's ultimately a good story, I think. It's cute. It's cute. I like it. Check it out. Highland Park Cemetery in Terre Haute, Indiana. Highland Park. There you go. Go check it out, everybody. All right. Well, uh, do you want to get into mine? Yeah, I, I think we should. All right. Okay. It's called Little Girl Lost. Okay, this this takes place in Cherville, Indiana, which I could fucking sneeze at the end of my driveway and someone in Cherville would get COVID. Like, that's how close we are. Yeah, that's true. It's crazy. <clears throat> so, Bob and Nancy Frazzy uh, were married. Were, they were a married couple from the south side of Chicago, right? Uh, Bob was a construction worker, and the two had five children together, so big family. With such a large family, the city didn't seem like a good fit anymore, and so they went house hunting in Cherville. Cherville, Indiana. I know that place. I'm from there, sort of. Went, we went to school there. High school. Wait, that's in Cherville, right? That's in St. John, buddy. What? Where's yep. the line? Jesus. All right. Literally, well, like, next door to the like high right school. Like, right after? Yeah. Okay. Well, in any case, yeah, they, they were house hunting. The family was too big. They went to Cherville. 
So, uh, they eventually toured an old, large, spacious, and beautiful home that, though it was uh, pretty much exactly what they were looking for, it was quite the fixer-upper. Okay? The whole house needed drywall redone, plumbing updated, electrical wiring replaced, but even so... Nancy, she knew before the tour was done that she wanted the house. And she told Bob about like midway through. And he agreed. He was like, yeah, it's perfect. You're right. Uh, the two made an offer on the house that day and became owners not a week later. Ooh, okay. Closing on a house, you know. So what with all the work that needed to be done on the house, the couple continued living in their home in Chicago, uh, you know, uh, just while the renovations were being finished. Renovations almost entirely taken on by Bob. Bob Bob the Builder? Bob, I guess in this case, yeah. He was the builder. He was the guy. You know, I feel like this is kind of like a, this is a departure, but um, I kind of remember Bob the Builder being a claymation thing. Am I wrong in saying that? I No, I remember that too, but I think it was sort of like a Jimmy Neutron-style animation. I feel like it's like a Mandela effect thing. It's like, was it claymation? Yeah, like, I always I, thought it was. It wasn't like claymation, claymation, but it had that feel. Yeah. You know, it, it made you believe that it was claymation. Yeah. Yes, we can. You think Obama took that? The, yes, we can, that thing? Yeah, dude, Obama the Builder. Everybody yeah. knows that. Obama the Builder. That was practically his slogan. All right, back to the story. So Bob was, but he was going uh, to the house to fix it up. You know, the couple purchased the home on April of 1959. And worked all summer to get it ready for the family. Bob would go to work each day. He'd get off around like 2 p.m. And then he'd go over to the house and fix it up until around 5 on most days, sometimes as late as 9. So he was there a lot. He was constantly working. He would also do this on weekends. It was nuts. So it was within the first few days of doing this that the first hints that the house might not be just an empty house started to come to light. Uh, one night, while sanding down spackle on the staircase wall, Bob heard, clear as day, a little girl's voice say, Mommy? And Bob turned quickly, and there was no one there. Alright, so there was nothing. He then searched the entire house, because he heard, clear as day, a child's voice say that. So he searched the entire house, and he ultimately uh, dismissed it after finding nothing. And he just made sure the doors were locked, and he was like, all right, I'll get back to work. That's when he heard it again. Again. He said, Mommy. He didn't say that, but, you know, Mommy. he heard it. He heard it. Uh, the child's voice sounded sad and possibly lost, right? Again, Bob turned around to find nothing, and then he quickly packed his things to leave uh, for the night. When he got home, he went to sleep, choosing not to tell his wife about the experience that he, even he wasn't sure had actually happened. He's like, might be going a little nuts here, Bob. So Bob went with his, uh, da he went on with his uh, daily renovations to the home. And for a while, no strange things were occurring after this. Uh, that is until a few weeks after the initial strangeness. So Bob was in the kitchen taking a break around 8 p.m., smoking a cigarette, you know, just chilling out. Uh, when he heard this, what sounded like a child's footsteps. Accompanied by the sound of a ball being bounced on the on the upstairs level in a room directly above him. So when he went to investigate, he was met with a dark room that was empty. And he immediately noticed that the room was unnaturally cold for the midsummer heat. He made his way back downstairs and he gathered up his things and on his way out the door he heard it again. The mommy. Ooh. Yeah, right. 
So there's something um, so innocent about that that it almost just consistently looking for your mother. It makes it it makes it worse because it's like okay, if they're telling the truth, then I feel bad. If they're telling a lie, then this is a horrible situation. No, it really. And isn't. then on top of all of that, you have to assume it's like, are am I sure that I'm hearing what I'm hearing? But this is like the fifth time, and I it's I like can't consistent. deny it anymore. Yeah. It's happening so much that this time when it happens after he investigated the room that was super cold, weirdly cold, he heard it and he was like, you know what, I'm just going to keep walking out the door. He didn't even look back. Yeah, he didn't even think about he, doubling yeah. back. He's like, I left my wrench in there, took it out, fuck it. If it's I'm gone, coming it's back gone. anyway, whatever. I'll use all the money I have left to go buy new shit so I don't have to deal with this right now. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's been there at least once. No, it's true. It's just like, fuck it. I just, I'm leaving. Yeah, it's like I can't. I don't care what I have to do, but this situation is done, no, and I true. will be excluding myself. Irish goodbyes all around, or whatever uh, origin goodbyes it is to just leave. Oh yeah, like when you just like leave, you're just like oh, I didn't even say anything. Bye, it's like Irish. I've heard French. I haven't heard any other ones, but I'm pretty sure it's one of those. The German goodbye is when you kill yourself underground. <laughs> you don't even After leave. committing mass mass crimes. You don't even leave. You just fucking off yourself. And like, oh, he gave us the German. He goodbye. really left. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> like I said, this time he just continued out the door to his car without even looking back. Uh, on his way home, he began thinking about uh, you know what what he was experiencing, uh, but he couldn't move past his own sadness he felt for the little girl, like that he heard didn't even see at this point, mainly due to how lost and sad she sounded. Like, but still, he he continued to keep these experiences to himself. Okay, okay. So he's kind of ruminating on him. He's kind of feeling bad as a father himself. He's like, there's a lost kid, but I can't even see her. Oh, so sad. All right, so uh, one day, not too long afterward, Bob and one of his sons were working in one of the rooms upstairs uh, when a consistent squeaking noise began emanating from the attic. Squeaky. Squeaky, 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 squeaky. Exactly like that. That's probably something. I something mean, I'm, like I'm, that. I'm no historian, but I can assume it sounded something like that. It sounded something like squeaky. Extremely similar, at least. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there was this noise coming from the attic. Bob, he pretended to just ignore it. He was like, I don't even hear it. And then his son, he like finally caught his son just staring at the ceiling. So he couldn't really deny it anymore. Uh, when asked what the noise was, Bob simply replied that it was probably mice, right? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's the go-to. I, the, yeah, yeah. you know, these shareable mice, they can talk and make really loud noises. <laughs> it, it, we just got to get used to it. You know, it'll go away. Yeah, they're built different here in Shareville. I promise. I promise. Shareville, so. <laughs> Indiana. Uh, uh, so when, uh, when that didn't seem to soothe the boy's mind, uh, Bob got a ladder, and he went up into the attic to investigate. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah. So he's, he's he's taken into his own hands. He had not been up there yet. Okay, so they bought the house attic unseen. And uh, his eye was immediately drawn to an antique rocking horse in the far corner. So there was basically nothing else up there except that. Limpy Blue was his name. Limpy Blue. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right, uh, upon closer investigation, Bob saw that there was a thick cake of dust uh, on the entire thing uh, aside from the handlebars and the seat, as if someone had just been sitting on it. Pretty spooky. So when he lightly pushed the rocking horse, the very sound that he and his son had been hearing sounded. 
Okay, so it, it was definitely this rocking horse. Someone's playing with this rocking horse in my attic. It's just playing fucking jazz up there. It's like, that is a rocking horse. <laughs> if only it could be that fun. You yeah, know? that would be amazing. But no, it'll, this this one will keep you up at night. No, yeah, it's really much more you, haunted. It'll really, you know, feed into the paranoia that is your existence at this point. No, it's true. So Bob returned to his son after seeing this, and he asserted that the sound was indeed mice. So he's lying to his son. Uh, the two didn't really talk much more that entire day. So it just kind of... He, <laughs> just like, we give up. A suffering father-son relationship. Well, uh, eventually, the house was on its final stretch when it came to, you know, renovations. And Nancy and Bob got their children's grandparents. So one of their parents, I couldn't uh, find out which of the parents it was. But the children's grandparents were watching them while they went to the house and finished it up. Okay, yeah, you know, that makes sense. You know, you know you it's got, like you we... got to do some drywall or some shit. You don't want the kids around. Yeah, it's like we got to rally on this shit. We got to get this stuff done. The kids are going to be in school. Like, we don't even have the rail up on the fucking stairs yet. The kids are going to die. Yeah. And we're going to... Oh, it's just going to be an issue. There's squeaking. There's people asking for mommy. Yeah, I would it's definitely crazy. probably keep my kids away, too, until I could figure out what exactly is going the fuck on. Yeah. So this... This is the time when Nancy becomes aware of the ghostly presence in the home. So one night, the two had walked, not walked, they worked all day, and Nancy was too tired to cook. So Bob, he was like, you know what, I'll go out, uh, pick something up from a restaurant, bring it back here. So while Nancy was alone in the house, she suddenly heard what sounded like footsteps coming down the stairs. Ooh, spooky. We don't have a sound effects guy, so I just kind of... Really shittily try to play. I like yours my more than any it, you know any little MP whatever like sound bite we could rent or buy. Yeah, it's like that'd be you cool, know. Come but, on, uh, we just we we free flow it here. Whatever happens is what's happening. Yeah. So enjoy the. So yeah, she heard some some footsteps coming down the stairs. Some child's footsteps. Uh, she stood in the kitchen, petrified, right, waiting for someone to appear at the bottom of the staircase. At first, she was afraid. She was petrified. Kept thinking she God, could I never can... live okay. without you by my there side. There we go. I couldn't remember the beginning of that line. How you done me wrong. All right. So, what do we got here? Uh, so, yeah, this is what Nancy found out. They were. He went out to get some food. And then she she heard some footsteps. She was standing in the kitchen petrified. Uh, no, one st- no one showed up at the bottom of the stairs. What the fuck, she said. And then she went to investigate, only to hear a very somber sigh. Seemed to approach her ears. Oh. <laughs> I imagine that's what oh, it, that sounded like. She said somber yeah. sigh. That's what I thought. Oh. She said it like approached as it happened. So I imagine it kind of like a. Uh, oh. I hope that worked. I don't know <laughs> if that. <laughs> the fucking slide whistle. What's going on up here? Probably. So she quickly went back into the kitchen, overtaken with emotion, okay? Mostly scared at this point, but she couldn't also shake the feeling of sadness as well, you know, for how somber the noise was that she had just heard. Uh, She sat in the kitchen table, crying and drinking coffee until Bob returned with food. And that's just, that seems like a soundbite that it's hashtag relatable. Hashtag Crying in the kitchen with coffee, waiting for food. That seems like something everyone's done. I, I mean, I don't wait for coffee because I'm not a coffee guy, but uh, I've certainly waited for chicken nuggets while being very sad in the kitchen. No, it's true. And yeah. they're, they're not related to each other. It's just like, I'm having a rough one. 
I need some fucking nuggets or so- something. Maybe a, a. I need something to change right now. Maybe a frozen pizza, and you just wish that you could just snap your fingers and like it would be done, and you're just ready to to gorge. But no, you got to sit there and wait for shit to heat up, and then you got it's a it's yeah. a pain. Meanwhile, your stairs are using themselves. It seems it's crazy. That is a, a strange. My <laughs> stairs are using themselves. What do you mean? My by stairs that? are going down themselves. I'm confused, but I'm I'm horny somehow. Can you explain? I don't think anyone can. Okay, that's so, fair. Yeah, so Bob got back with the food, and he saw her in this state—the state of crying and drinking coffee at the kitchen table. And when asked what was wrong, she replied that she had heard what sounded like child's footsteps on the stairs. And before she could elaborate any further, Bob said, so you hear her too. Ooh. Ooh. That, there's something, Mic drop. There is something creepy about that. Because like, I've had stuff like... not. I will say, ever since I moved here, I, I haven't really had any issues. But like where I used to live, like I'd, you know, I'd see shit out of the corner of my eye. And like, I, I would just convince myself... That it was fine. You know, she's like, ah, oh, whatever. I'm, I, no one said anything. But to hear somebody, like, you're seeing this shit that you don't know if it's real or you're hearing something. And then for somebody to just look you in the eye and be like, oh, so you hear that too? It's like, it's okay. Like, fuck. We got a problem here. <laughs> oh, we, no. We got, now we have to talk about this. Now we have an issue. Yeah. No, yeah. It was. It was. Nancy was kind of upset. Bob was consoling Nancy, and the two had a very long discussion. <laughs> she we was. Gotta, uh, we gotta fix this. Yeah, she was initially pretty angry that he'd kept it from her, but eventually she came to understand that he was just trying not to you know, scare her or whatever. He was like, "Maybe I'm insane," but now it's both of them. Yeah, uh, you could you could play that. You could play up the denial thing. Yeah, like, exactly. I thought I, I, I thought I was hearing. Shit. Like I was scared of the inside of my own mind. That is, yeah, that is a very hard thing to broach with another person. Even true. if you know that person, it's very, it's not it's something to bring up and be like, so did you hear that fucking ghost last night? You know, it's like, that's my wife. She's going to think I'm crazy. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, we just bought a house together. I don't want to, you know, fuck anything up here, okay? Yeah, or, I, I always think of that Simpsons episode where, like, the Treehouse of Horror where they bought the haunted house. And they were just like, let's leave. And it was like, th- just the reality set in of like, we have no more money. Like, we just bought this We just house. spent all of our money. We, we haven't even paid go. all this off. It's <laughs> like, like, we have to live with this ghost because we don't get to just leave. Like, that's not how this shit works. No, it's true. Maybe in the 50s it was different, but I imagine it was probably the same way. Probably it's, somewhere around the same. Like, I put in all this time and effort and money. I don't have anywhere else to go. Like, we're fucking living here, okay? <laughs> Get used Ghosts to it. Ghosts or none, all right? Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, Nancy knows now. Uh, they, she was mad, and then they made up a little bit. But the two agreed to keep it from the children still, okay? So they're not going to tell the kids. In the following days, strange things continued to happen. And, and again, it's just the two of them in the house doing the finishing up the renovations, you know. Uh, strange things continued to happen during all hours of the day and night. Though these strange occurrences were never necessarily threatening, more annoying than anything else, and that was at its worst. So Bob and Nancy were consistently hearing footsteps and, you know, just uh, creaking in the attic at night and like even finding like tools that they were using to be moved around the house. Uh, on one particular day, an example of that, Nancy was washing a patching trowel off in the kitchen sink. And then when she stepped out for a few minutes to help Bob with something in the garage, 
She returned to find it missing. It wasn't there where she left it. The trowel was gone. Oh, not the trowel. Yeah, she was looking for it everywhere. And she finally gave up. She was like, you know what? I'm thinking I'm a little hungry. Maybe that'll make me find this trowel more if I get some food in me. I've been there before too, sister. I, I get it. Oh, yeah, of course. So she looked up at the clock above the door to confirm that it was indeed time for lunch when she saw the trowel carefully balanced on the top edge of the clock. <laughs> that is that's strange because how would that happen you know that it wasn't you and you know that it wasn't your husband yeah, and it's above the door frame yeah like on top of the clock there's no rational explanation for that if somebody was in the house that could do that you would be aware that they were in the house um so that is there's no, that's bad no it's news. yeah and it I think the same thing. It would be like the most frightening thing. And though they were frightened, strangely enough, this particular occurrence was the final straw for Bob and Nancy, but not in the sense that they were like going to move out. Rather, the couple just began accepting what was going on in their house now. And they ultimately like were just like, this is harmless, this is a goofy ghost child. They began like reacting to the paranormal occurrences with like laughter and just jokes. And they would just talk to the ghost. Now, see... This is uh This is how you outsmart this, the spirit. It, it truly is. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Right? In a few short weeks together in the haunted home, uh they began talking to the unseen child, like sometimes acting as parental figures even. One night while the two were like, you know, going to bed, uh they again heard the squeaking in the squeaking in the attic. Nancy asked Bob, she was like, "What are we going to do about that?" Cuz that's like a consistent thing. Like the kids are coming. Like what are we going to do about this? And Bob just loudly stated something along the lines of, It's late, and we need to sleep, so go to bed or wherever you go. And miraculously, the noise stopped almost immediately. Okay. So they're just treating it like a kid, and it's working. Yeah, they're not being rude to it. You know, they're not like, get the fuck out of here. They're just like, hey. It's like, you need to go to bed just like us. Please shut up. Yeah, it's like, hey, let's just, you know, we, we let's work with what we got here, okay? We're, we're in this yeah. together. Let's make it the best. There we go. So still not telling their children, the family moved in uh, around the beginning of autumn, all right? And the first week or so was just a joyous and busy one, all right? So mostly including unpacking and settling in. Uh, once the family was t- had, like, taken full root in the home, however, the ghostly things began happening again. And this time around, it was happening to the children. It was a demon. It was a demon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tiktok cringe thing we just watched he's like if you treat me friendly i'll treat you like a brother but if you treat me with contempt i'll treat you like a demon yeah we've been talking about that all day that's my favorite individual i've seen today we're not certain how one would treat a demon i'll treat you like a demon (laughs) i'm see like to me i feel like the average assumption would be that you're you would treat them with fear yeah like if i were to encounter a demon, I'd be like, no, uh no, I'd be so afraid. Yeah, I gotta call it, it a priest. would be like, oh, I'm gonna teach you a lesson, demon. Yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> Listen here, demon. I, that's why it was on the cringe thing, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. It's fine with me. Well, Keep we, it cringy, we get America. Off on, on demons. Um, <laughs> so they were unpacking all these, all these children, uh, you know, all these children in the house, it's happening to them now. The child most affected by the ghostly antics uh, was uh, Bob and Nancy's seven-year-old daughter named Karen. She would regularly show up to the breakfast table disgruntled, 
uh, claiming someone was rearranging her dollhouse at night. Oh, I'd be pissed. Isn't that you just get it just the way you want it, dude? I would do that with like army guys. I had this like this like mountain that was cut in half, and you could like stack them, getting ready for battle. They were prepared. Can you if imagine anyone if, touched those, I would be so mad. If someone just came in there and just fucking rearranged them all, they're like, yeah, yeah your it's battle like, plan I'm going to put the bed on the west wall. It's like, fuck. Yeah, you're, you're I fucking I wanted it trash. by the window. Yeah. You're a, a hippie scum bastard. That's what you are. Yeah, so Karen's dollhouse is getting rearranged at night, and she is pissed about it at breakfast. Uh, she even returned to her room one day to find almost every piece of clothing she had off of its hanger, and there were even piles of it, like, just random pieces of clothing, piles of like discarded dresses, by the mirror as if someone was trying them all on. Wow! Isn't that creepy? That is weird. That that's very unique too. I can't say that I've ever heard a story where a ghost was trying on clothes. It's literally a ghost child acting like a child, yeah. like not even doing like freaky ghost power. And they're not things. like a shitty child either. <laughs> like they're pretty cool. It's just like a normal, just like let's play some dress up. Well, uh, it, it was you know, there was all these dresses by the mirror, but it wasn't little Karen's claims that rattled the children. No, it was uh, it was those of the older brother John. So one Sunday, Nancy was getting the family ready to go to you know church. Okay, so John, however, it was the sixteen-year-old football player son of Bob and Nancy. He insisted on staying home to rearrange his room. After a minor fight with Nancy, uh, she agreed to let him stay behind from church just this once. Rebel. Yeah, yeah, skipping on church. After the rest of the family departed, John began working on his room, you know. Uh, that's when he heard footsteps on the <gasps> store, on the stairs outside his room. <laughs> yeah, little, little child, little child footsteps. So he paused for a moment before dismissing the noise, you know. Then, then he heard a small, sad little voice saying, Mommy? Mommy? And it came from the hallway. He thought, you know, he thought it came from the hallway. But again, he paused for just a moment or two before dismissing it again. He was like, I'm just hearing things. This time he closed his door. He's like, the the, the rest of the house is distracting me. And then, not moments later, he heard, Mommy? Louder Mommy. and more insistent. Louder, okay? And this time, it was inside of his room that he heard this. So John Hughes, fucking terrified, he burst out of his room, ran down the stairs, and went out the first door that he saw, which actually led him to the garage, the outside of the garage. Oh, God, that's where she lives. <laughs> oh, God. So it was raining, uh, but since the garage was locked, John chose to stand outside and wait for his family to return from church. Damn. So he's just standing in the rain. He's so fucking scared. And when they finally did come back, Bob and Nancy sat him down out of earshot of the other children, right? And when they heard his story, they knew that they were just like, we got to come clean. You know, we got to tell them about this playful spirit child. Uh, so Bob called all the kids to the room, and he and Nancy explained the situation, stressing the lack of danger they believed themselves to be in. And to Bob and Nancy's pleasant surprise, all five of the children could not have been more excited and happy to hear the ghostly news. I would be pretty pumped. Too. I would be, you know, like this is obviously before the days of like Casper the Friendly Ghost, but that's essentially what's going on. This here. is real life, yeah. It's, it's like we have like this ghost in the house, and you know she's just she just wants to be a kid, 
It's like, uh, yeah, that's fucking cool. That's like, badass. I have an invisible friend that's just a fucking ghost. Exactly. Dude, even John, the kid that was just so scared he stood out in the rain for like a long time. After hearing this, he became excited too. He was just like, oh my god, that's amazing. Now that I know what it is and that everyone knows, it's fucking sick. But uh, Bob felt that he had one more thing to do. Before all loose ends were tied up, he wanted a chance to directly speak with the little girl spirit. Oh, that's a that's a tall order. I yeah, don't know right. How that it's kind of kind of a strange thing to meet. You're just like, I have to do this. All right. I mean, <laughs> so, whatever you, whatever, yeah. man. But so one morning around five o'clock, his Bob got up insanely early. Uh, he was in the kitchen alone, and sure enough, he heard mommy, uh, to which he responded out loud that her mother did not live there anymore but that they did and then he added that they would be more than willing to have her as part of their family under the condition that she do her best not to scare the children so i guess that's the main thing he wanted to tell her okay that's fair yeah and and what do you know uh most of the family uh most of the major spooky stuff happening to the family ceased basically almost immediately the family began treating the ghost as uh, one of the family. Karen began leaving her dollhouse open at night, free for her to play with. All right, And the rocking horse from the attic was dusted off and placed in the family room as sort of like a centerpiece sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of nice. Kind of nice. Uh, the children would say goodnight to her every night before bed, and they even began calling her Elizabeth in honor of one of their, uh, their aunts, I believe, who had passed away. So even Nancy would announce herself upon entering the home when no one else was there, saying, It's okay, Elizabeth. It's just me. You know, it's kind of nice. Nice homey feel. And the family was truly happy with their ghostly guest. Uh, It wasn't until about 30 years later that the family sold the house, sadly. Bob and Nancy were sad to leave, but they, uh, they felt better after meeting the family that was to move in. Though they didn't tell the new family about the spirit, the wife of the new couple agreed to leave the rocking horse where it was, saying that she loved it. And this, to Bob and Nancy, was a sign that it was a good a good fit. Yeah, she, know? she was hanging out. She was cool. Yeah. And they to meshed this, well. Exactly. And to this day, the entire family looks back on that house and their time spent in it with the spirit of the lost little girl fondly See, in Cherville, Indiana. Now, this is something, because I, I remember that story... Uh, from when I was younger, I remember reading that, and I I don't recall they never gave like a location, right, like an address or anything. No, it was just Cherville, Indiana, and it was an old house that hadn't been lived in for many years previous to them buying it in the fifties. Yeah, so I I would very much be interested to see what that's all about because or where it's at because it's not far, it's not really a big place either, so. It's just interesting. I wonder if the newer people that live there have the same experience or not. Maybe. You know? Yeah. I mean, the the couple that moved in, they also had three kids. And, like, I feel like Bob and Nancy were just like, this might be the same exact situation that we had 30 years ago. You know? It's kind of nice. Yeah, that'd be uh, It's kind of nice. nice. It's a very strange ghost story. Um, it, it seems to have a lot more human qualities than any other yeah. ghost story. Very rarely do you ever get a ghost story where death is never even mentioned. Yeah. Like, no, this is just no a little lore. girl. It's not like, ooh, she was murdered or something like that. And Nancy did go to, like, the archives of the courthouse to see who had lived in this house before, but there was nobody 
at all that had children or anything. Like, there was no little girl that lived in that house. There was no crimes that occurred in there. It's she just, was just like, there's just a kid in here. It's just a random series of events, I guess. Who knows? Who friggin' knows? I like stuff like that. Me too, man. So why don't we, we'll stick in the same county. How about that? We'll just, we'll travel a little bit Lake north. County. Travel up a little bit north and possibly just the tiniest little bit to the east, all right? And we're going to go to Gary, Indiana. Yes. For those of you that don't know, um, I'm going to give you just a little miniature background here on what happened, uh, to or how Gary became. So... For those of you that have never been to Northwest Indiana, picture everything you know about Indiana and eliminate it because it's very different. Um, I guess if you've been, you know, to the more populated areas like down by Indianapolis, uh, it, it, it might closely resemble what you're going to see here, but it's not the same. Yeah, it's like Indianapolis and then college towns here and there. The rest is just corn, aside from northwest Indiana. Right. It's it's very strange. So in 1906, U.S. Steel built its first facility in Gary, Indiana. The reason being, it lies right on Lake Michigan, so it made easy transportation for all of their raw goods and materials. Everything could be done, bim, bam, fucking boom. Yeah, what could go wrong? Right? Um, so they had docks in Whiting and Hammond, Indiana. And this is where they all used it. So over the time, people moved in, you know, because they were working for U.S. Steel. Then after a while, U.S. Steel decided, hey, let's make this an actual city. So they, you know, people were electing mayors and government officials. It became a city. Yeah. Was it like number one place to live at some point? Yeah, it was was mini Chicago there for quite a while. Um, Now, this was obviously years ago, and Gary has since changed its reputation, I would say, extremely rapidly and in the very, very far opposite direction. I believe it was the murder capital of the country for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're working with here is an old city, right? I mean, we got old shit all over the fucking place. What a lot of history. Um, and that's going to lead to plenty and plenty and plenty of ghost stories. Um, so what happened here... I get it. See, this is an interesting one because there's like five different things melded into one. So okay. we're going to start with the short little one, the Phantom of the Open Hearth. Well, okay. You're just going to see opera. Well, okay. That'd be cool. Um, but the Phantom of the Open Hearth is a ghost that is said to appear in smoke and steam when molten steel is poured in right. U.S. steel. I may be an idiot, but what is what is a hearth? I have no idea. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. Thank God, honestly. I'm not going to lie to you. I keep thinking hearse, but I'm like, that's not even the same word. I really should know, but I, I don't. And I'm, I'm a little Whatever. ashamed to admit I'll look it up that. right now. You keep going. Um, th- it's just a fun little story. Uh, supposedly, there was a worker at U.S. Steel who had fallen into a vat of red-hot liquid steel as it was being poured. And obviously, uh, he did not survive that encounter with the liquid. And he is said to supposedly haunt the area of where it happened. This makes sense. Uh, a hearth is the floor of a fireplace. Oh, wow. Isn't that fun? Perfect. Okay. Um, and then just a couple you know, little side ones that are local legends in the area. 
obviously now, you know, the Demon House is probably the most notable. Or the property that the Demon House was once on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Jackson House. God knows what happened there. Yeah, that's that's some fucked up shit, too. Um, but, there, you know, there's stuff that goes around way before the dawn of the internet. Um, there is said to be the ghost of a German German Lutheran pastor who returns to his church and watches over the people that attend. That's just, you know, known in the Gary area, supposedly. A German Lutheran pastor. That's like one of those memes where it's like you're reacting more severely at every word. You know, like the... Yeah, oh, like German. It? Oh, Lutheran. Oh, <gasps> pastor. pastor. <laughs> God, no. Yeah. yeah. And then I like this one a lot. Um, so I'm not familiar with this. Uh, the Froebel section of Gary. That Ooh. must have been like an older neighborhood somewhere Something. in the city. Um, and they have the story of a haunted light pole. Oh, shit. <laughs> and this is right right next to Froebel Elementary School. It's like Stephen King's most recent like premises. Um, so the way that this story goes is that there's a priest from the Froebel Parish who was brutally murdered while standing outside leaning against the light pole on one evening. And ever since then, it flickers. Just flickers nonstop. Balls were changed. Wires were redone. Doesn't fucking matter. Does not matter. hate him. Yeah, he is, he is the fucking antidote for anything that could ever be. Electricity. Okay. I'm sorry. I got really I thrown off what, here. I don't know what that means. I got really thrown off here. Just no, uh, on the outside of the podcast, Georgie is—he's uh, joining us today. Oh, is he here? No, no, no. But he texted me, and uh, Georgie, fucking Jesus! I can't tell if he's joking, but he said, "Okay, I'll see you soon, bestie," with a kissy face emoji. Oh, that's real, dude. I can't help but feel as if that is some form of. Uh, sarcasm but either way i who feel, knows you guys I feel that friends. i should lock the door and just you know act like i'm not here i can do that we have a we have a pretty aggressive dog in here too that is true we're fine um but none of these stories are what we're talking about in the city of gary indiana this one was no, brand true. new to me i was completely unaware and that is the ghost of klein avenue how about that for those familiar with the region um Quine Avenue connects Hammond, Whiting, and Gary to the Illinois border, right? It, it's it goes, a very major street. It is. It's right? enormous. Uh, there's an offshoot that goes up to the Skyway, which will take you into Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. And funny enough, it's not the same road, um, but I do think they connect at a certain point in time. Uh, it's just funny that Georgie had texted me. He's on Klein Avenue right now. Good Lord. Um, so this one's for you out there if you're listening. But the Klein Avenue ghost, and I stress ghost because there's a double-sided thing here. Starting in the 1930s, there were sightings of a woman wearing a white dress similar to that of a wedding dress crying on the side of Klein Avenue. Now, for those of you interested in the location, um, it is in an old, very old, now outdated neighborhood of Gary, and it was called Chudhi. Okay, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Chudhi or Kuyahi or something. Like that? Yeah, it's something weird. Kuyah. Kuyah. Um, 
at the time, it was a predominantly Mexican neighborhood. So this was attributed to the one, the only, the movie star herself, La Llorona. Yeah, how about that? Good Lord, in Gary, Indiana, of all places. In Gary, Indiana. In Kudahe, Gary. Um, For those of you looking for a present-day comparison, um, if you've ever been out here, if you are familiar with where the Gary Airport is and where the casinos are, the the old uh, Majestic Star Casino and Ameristar. Yeah, Kudahe is just south of Majestic. Yeah, so it would be right in that general area, which, fun fact, is about less than 15 minutes from where I uh, am currently staying. So how about that? Yeah, well, we're both just talking right now to you. Yeah, so how about that shit? La Llorona. But then the issue remains, okay? It turns out that once this started gaining attention, um, the locals that were not particularly from Kudahi... They were just, you know, Gary locals that had lived here, you know, since the dawn of Gary. They claim that they had seen this ghost for years, previous to the fact of La Llorona, okay? So, there's a big debate. Is it La Llorona, who is, you know, a traditional Hispanic thing, uh, supposedly it haunts in Mexico City. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's got a different telling, but it's, you know, a bride that, you know... Had a terribly traumatic experience and was ended up dying. She didn't have a good time, yeah. No, 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 no. But La Llorona. Oh, dog's barking. We got a visitor. La Llorona. Is it La Llorona? Is, you know, it's a very uh, Hispanic origin story. So then the locals decided to tell their retelling, the one that predates the Mexican immigrant story, and that would be the spectral bride of Klein Avenue. Jesus. Now, this is a little bit closer to... Uh, it predates the story in Gary specifically, though, right? Yeah, it's not still like in Yeah, Gary. not in Mexico City. It's gotcha. still in Gary. It's just this predates the uh, La La The, the suggestion that it might be. Um, there, yeah. This one's down a little bit more uh, on what it, it, it's on Klein, but it's also been spotted... Um, on present day Fifth Avenue, closer to the South Shore Station by East Chicago, and it's the same exact story. It's a young woman um, in a wedding gown that you know haunts the road. Okay, but in this telling, uh, she is a a woman of Polish descent that lived in Eastern Hammond. Now we got a lot of Polish people here. Whiting, you got the the pierogi fest, all this stuff. And the way the story goes is that she was driving with her kids. Three young children and her were in the car, and she was in a horrible accident. She was thrown from the passenger seat through the windshield into a field, but all of the kids died. How about that? Well, they just got to wear their seatbelts. Yep. Or maybe not. She survived. Maybe the kids were wearing seatbelts. They got, like, chopped up by him or something. And with all this going on, obviously she died. You know, things did not go she very died. well. She um, died. But, you know, there's and then there's the whole love triangle all of, of all of that. And it, it keeps it interesting. You know, you're excited. And in the 1960s, there was actually a local radio station that had people go out to Quine Avenue to try and see the ghost. <laughs> And Navi, Navi sees the ghost. Navi sees La Llorona. He sees the through ghost. Through the bathroom door where Mitch is peeing. But 
um, nothing was spotted on that day. But even reports go up until recently, in 2019, there was a spotting of the Spectral Bride on Klein Avenue in Gary, Indiana. And just like that, Navi's excited. Navi is freaking out about this woman. He loves it. He wants to know what's happening. But that's essentially the story of uh, Haunted Klein Avenue. Yeah. It's an interesting one. It's not something I'd ever been familiar with. And, I mean, I've, we're from the area, you no, know. That's true. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's the Haunting of Klein Avenue. How about well, that that's one? That's pretty fucking freaky. Jake, why uh, don't you lay on us? I have one more. And it's I forgot the books at home. And I didn't write anything down. I'm going to do it all from memory. Do it. So it's going to be rough. But so basically, in Laporte, Indiana, there was this doctor, right? He was back in like the 1920s. His doctor, he moved to Laporte. He was like, "I'm going to start a practice." He did. It was wildly successful. He had like uh, he had a wife who was, uh, you know, part of a family that was pretty pretty big in the area. It was great. You know, everything was going fantastically, and uh, you know, he was kind of uh, accustomed to getting late night house calls of people in distress, like, "You got to come help me." He'd be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it. I took the oath and all that shit. But one night, in in the midst of his happy home, it was a cold night, and he and his wife were just around the, the, the fire, right? The fireplace. It was really nice. And he got this rapping at his door. Ooh. At his chamber door. Nevermore. Yeah, exactly. But he opened it to find a very, uh, you know, like uh, an imposing figure. And it was just a guy. It was a guy. And he seemed very, uh, very cold, but not in the sense like temperature-wise. Like he was like a stern, cold man. And he asked, um, he asked the doctor, "Can you please come help me? I my my daughter is injured. I need you to come to my house." And it sounds cordial, sounds nice, but the way he did it, according to the doctor, was not was not very nice. But, you know, he took the oath, so he went with him. He was like, you know what, we'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go get my jacket, everything's fine. He was kind of feeling uneasy, just with the whole situation, the guy specifically. And when he got his jacket and came out, he was like, I'll follow you. And then he saw that this guy was in a fucking buggy, like a horse-drawn buggy, in the 1920s. And it was like, that, that was pretty kind of normal, you know, for the 1920s, but it was mostly reserved for, like, farmers at the time. Like, the doctor had a Model T. He followed the buggy in his Model T. But before he left, he was like, you know what? I'm going to bring my wife. For some reason, he was like, I'm going to bring my wife. You got to bring her. You, you know? got to bring you your wife it. sometimes to emergency calls in the middle of the night when you're a doctor. So they slowly followed this guy through downtown Laporte and out into the fields. And they were just going directionless to seemingly nothing until they turned onto a road that the doctor had not remembered was there and he was pretty familiar with the area at this point but they turned onto this road and eventually they came upon a fucking mansion like something out of like the antebellum south but just in the middle of fucking nowhere like three stories it was beautiful and uh you know the buggy slowly stopped and so he stopped the model t and they both got out they went in the house and guess what he saw on the walls what did he see? Just a bunch of blood. There was a bunch of blood all over the fucking walls. But the guy who was like, yeah, you got to come help me and my daughter, he wasn't reacting to it at all. He just kept going straight down the hallway. 
and he came to uh, the the two came to a doorway and they opened it and what was on the bed but a 17 year old girl who had been shot in the shoulder ooh isn't that terrifying very bloody very bad uh so you know the doctor was like oh my god they like what's your name and then the the girl just uh kind of recoiled kind of kind of shielded herself and then his you know professional instincts kind of kicked in he was starting to address her wound and stuff and then he turned to the father and he was like what happened here this this girl's been shot like what happened and the father responded rather coldly rather sternly very plainly he's like well i was uh i was cleaning a gun and it went off it was just an accident oh yeah accidental yeah accidental discharge Total accident so uh the doctor just went on he he kept going he dressed the wound and everything was it seemed to be fine right and the guy was like, you know what, you've done your job, thank you very much, goodbye. But the doctor, he was uh, he was kind of looking around, he was like, uh, still feeling uneasy, he's like, this is a weird fucking situation, right? Like, this is weird, like, his wife stayed into, in, the, in the car, but he was like, this is fucking weird. And before he left, he locked eyes with the 17-year-old girl he had just dressed the wound of, and he said that there was just this particular longing to leave the presence of her father just he could see it he was like there's a desperation here but before he could react to that the father again said uh thank you goodbye like that kind of thing Uh rushing him out the door and i mean he did he was just like you're gonna have to come back to my office and like get these dressed like the we're gonna need to like change the the gauze and everything and he was like all right yes thank you so, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, the doctor went back out to his car, but only to find his wife was outside of the car and by the entryway, cowering in fear. And the doctor said, what's up, wife? And, uh, you know, and she was like, "I there's another guy hurt over here. Like, there's a man. I could hear a man, like, groaning. I looked over to the barn by the wood pile, and he, I, I saw a man try to get up and then fall back down, and he was groaning in pain. You have to go help him. So the doctor he was like, fuck, what a night, right? And he oh, went over there. What a night. What a night. But so he went over there. He found nothing. No no, no dude over there. <gasps> and, yeah, right? <gasps> and he came back to his wife, and he was like, there's no one over there. Come on. And then they just went home. You Come might on, think babe. that that's the end of the story, but it's not. So uh, the next day. Uh, the doctor just kept going with his practice, you know, just normal day. He made a note to, you know, look for the, the father and daughter who he'd seen the night before, but they never showed up, at least on that next day. And then the day after that, they didn't show up. So what does the doctor do? He goes to the fucking sheriff. He goes to the sheriff's office. He reports it. He's like, you know, there's something really weird about all of this. And when he starts to explain... The story to this cop. This cop has been working in Laporte for 30 years. He was like close to retirement. And he was like really cordial at the beginning. He was like, you know, have a cup of coffee. All right, now I'll take your report. Like, what what can I do for you, Doc? And as he told the story, the sheriff kind of got a little little glassy-eyed, you know? (gasps) So sad. Yeah. He started to become a little more stern. And he's like, there's no need to keep going with your report. Um, you can stop right there. I know 
that you'll never see that man or that woman again. He's like, how can you be so sure? He's like, well, let me show you. And it was like one of those cuts from a movie where it's like, oh, you'll see. And then they're just in the car. Have it, yeah. uh, and it's understood that like no talking has happened. Yeah, they just waited in silence until it happened. You know, it's like oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. So, uh, so yeah, they're just on the road, on the same road that like the same route that he had taken to the guy's house that night to address his daughter's wounds. <clears throat> oh yeah, and uh, he he had not told the cop like the route where he was going or anything. He was just, the cop was just going there. He was like, how do, you, how do you know where to go? So he was like, all right, let me tell you a story. 25 years ago, there, was a, there were like complaints of a guy knocking on people's doors asking for help, asking who the doctor was and where he could find a doctor. And the cop, 25 years before, he had said that uh, the doctor was out of town at the time that he had come across this man. And so the man said, well, can you come help my daughter? She's hurt in her in her room. And he did. And he took the same exact route. He went to the same exact house, the huge-ass fucking mansion. Same story, same everything. And uh, he was like, how do you know all these details? How do you know like where you're going? And he's like, let me show you. And they pull up to where the mansion is. And what do you know? It is a fucking dump. <gasps> the roof is caved in. It's all overgrown. Everything is fucked up. That's not good. It's not good. That's spooky as hell, though, I'll tell you that. So, uh, he's just like, it's kind of just something he has to accept at this point. But apparently, what had happened, I think it was like closely after the Civil War had happened. The guy, when he was living, supposedly, the guy, uh, he bought a lumber company in Laporte. And he was like, you know, I'm going to like uh, live outside of Laporte, not necessarily in the downtown area. I'm going to build my own house. Yeah, in the outskirts. Yeah, and he was uh, he was pretty well known to be a uh, kind of a tight ass, especially... Sexually or, you know, just metaphorically? I would assume both. Okay, okay, know? okay. But uh, so he had no other family aside from his young daughter. Only family he ever had. So he was extremely protective of her. And uh, she had fallen in love with a regular laborer from Laporte. Just a normal dude of no, you know, money or class. Yeah, no stature. He's just nothing. But, you know, she was in love with her. And one day, the two were together, and they were in the hallway embracing. And what do you know, her father comes home early, and uh, he's just pissed. The father comes home early from business... Uh, you know, sort of situation. He sees them. What does he do? He pulls out a pistol immediately. And he shoots at the guy. The man that his daughter had fallen in love with. And she went in front of the bullet. She took a bullet to the shoulder. And then she slumped down. She was on the floor. The guy's natural reaction, or the, the lover's natural reaction, was to bend down and help her. And then um, this guy shot him in the chest. Yeah. Yeah. So he's dying. And then the guy takes this dying man, the dying lover of her, of his, uh, of his, of his daughter, uh, out behind the wood pile to die. And then he goes back, and uh, you know he's afraid to get a doctor, you know, because uh, then they'd find out about the murder, they'd find out about all this stuff, it would unravel everything. So he did his best to dress his daughter's wounds that he had inflicted on her, but eventually 
it got infected and she fucking died. <gasps> Isn't that sad? That does suck. And so he hung himself in the attic. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's natural. So the whole thing about this entire story is like, it's kind of speculated that this particular spirit is trying to make up for what he did wrong in life by going and trying to find all these doctors to help his daughter. Mm-hmm. Isn't that spooky? That is a little weird. I'm not going to lie. That's very unique. Multifaceted, this this story. It's Yeah, it's kind of like a... It's like a book almost, you know? It's yeah. kind of intense. And it was all encased in like six pages right. in all the right. Haunted Indiana books. You should really read these books. No, they're they're pretty cool. Mark Merriman. I got one more. And this one's like brief as shit. All right? This one is fucking a hamburger of nothing. Wow. There might be a werewolf man in Versailles, Indiana. Oh, okay? I, I would only assume. Um. For those of you that don't know, I actually did not know this. Uh, the Civil War, uh, contrary to popular belief, it did reach Indiana. I never knew that in my entire life, and I fucking live here. Um, and this happened because of the famous Morgan Raiders when they invaded in, ni- in 1863, okay? So essentially how this goes is, you know, this guy, they were losing, the, the Confederacy's losing shit like that. It's like, oh, fuck, okay. Damn it. They're not doing too well. Um, and this guy gets his direction from General Bragg, okay? And his command, uh, on his command, he was across the Ohio River. And this is when he comes into Corydon, Indiana, all right? Now, Morgan and his men kind of broke off, and they went north upwards towards Indianapolis. Um, And during this time, there was a defector, all right? Somebody had left. Oh, shit, this guy is leaving. Somebody had left. Um, They didn't know who he was, but it, it was a weird situation because pretty much whichever side he was on, I mean, he was on the Confederacy, but it didn't really matter who he was backing. If he was caught, he was going to be killed. Um just simply out of fear, because Indiana, the people of Indiana were not ready for a civil war. They were not a part of it up until this point, and they they really weren't. It just kind of came to their doors. Yeah, don't you hate when wars come to your doors? Yes, I do. Um, so, while they were in Versailles, one young officer split off from the rest and defected. Um, it's kind of, no one really knows the true origin of where exactly or how or why, but all we can agree on is that the name was Silas Shimmerhorn. Damn, that is... The name was Silas Shimmerhorn. That is a hell of a name. So Silas was living on the lamb. And pretty much what happened was he was living with a pack of wolves that were out in this field. Okay? What? Is this Dances with Wolves? And he, well, he wasn't like, you know, buddy-buddy with them, but, you know, he was just like in their general area. Yeah. And apparently he coaxed them into being cool one day when he had shared some of his meat that he gathered while hunting with them. Uh, and then the rumor goes that, you know, as time went on, they would raid farms together. He would use the wolves to distract the farmers while he'd go in and steal shit and, you know, food and whatnot. Hilarious. Um, and eventually they brought out a bunch of these farmers who decided they were like, fuck this, we're going to look. He was supposedly living in this cave up on the hill that was named the Bat Cave. This guy sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this is my favorite guest. Silas, you said it was? Silas Shimmerhorn. Oh, there's, and- there's no bad part to this guy once these farmers reached the bat cave they found what remained of a pine straw bed 
and some eating implements, such as a handmade fork and a spoon. Lying in one of the recesses of the cave, they found a gun. It was a rifle that was used in the Civil War. More specifically, a Confederate rifle with the initials SS carved into the side. How about that? SS would go on to later have worse implications. But they never found Silas Schimmerhorn. But throughout the years, uh, it is supposed that you can hear wolves howling in the distance. And there have been multiple sightings. And I, when I say multiple, I mean upwards of 15. Like, it's not uncommon. It's a good amount of sightings. Of a man who is hanging out with wolves. He's not uh, a werewolf. He looks like a man, but he's just like a feral dude that hangs out with wolves. That's awesome. So how about that? That's fucking badass. Yeah, dude, it makes me think it dances with wolves. But then every time I try to think of that movie, I just think of Jeremiah Johnson. It's all there's. I have a swirl of emotions. Oh, do you? You know, yeah. I, I love this story. It's hilarious. It's Hilaria Baldwin. I love it. I agree. And with all that being said, that's effectively our episode. That's the spooky for a time week. for this week. Yes, because uh, it is October. It's the fifteenth of October, and we have a cool episode coming next week, and we have a real big one for Halloween. Yes, we do. It's going to be so frightening. You're going to love it. It's a good time. You're going to have a great time. You're going to hate it, but, but you're going to listen anyway. We love you all very much, and thank you for listening. And we will be back next week, as usual, with some new episodes for you guys. How about that? No, it is true. You We're going to do that. Patreon and a regular. It's going to be amazing. And you can follow us on all the shit and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then we're on YouTube. And then there's a link below for the Patreon. And startercult at gmail.com. You can email us with, like, uh, you know, whatever you want. That's the end. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.